1: This is Wheel Bearings.
2: I'm Dan Roth from Forbes. I'm Sam Abual-Samad from Navigant Research.
3: I'm Rebecca lin from Rebecca Drives.
1: So we're here for a special episode, uh, or at least a special theme, right? Because we saw the Mustang Mach-E debut. We talked about it on the last episode, which just posted, but now we can actually talk about it. Uh, and Sam, you were there at the, the event that Ford held, and, uh, you know, it looks like it's... Um, actually more revolutionary than the the original mustang the mustang mach e and uh you know let's set aside the naming controversy for now because i feel like that's generated lots of heat and very little light (laughs) 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 um and you know i i want to just start with one interesting tidbit i discovered uh with all the chatter was that um the Mustang brand, not necessarily Ford, but uh, or Ford or Ford Mustang, but just Mustang, is actually pretty strong in China, and so I have to imagine that that's one of the things that plays into um, naming this thing. Is Ford maybe eyeing the EV market in China for it as well?
2: Oh, absolutely! Um, you know, since uh, since twenty fourteen, when the current generation Mustang Coupe, the S five fifty, debuted, you know, Mustang has been um, yeah, you know, it. They have expanded it from being a, a North American model to a global model. You know, and it's available in I think over 130 countries now, and including China and throughout Europe uh, as well as you know, other parts of Asia. And you know, it it has gained a lot of traction. And, and you know, the last several years, it's actually being the number one selling sports coupe globally, uh, beating out everything else. Uh, you know, and that's, I, I would say that is absolutely one of the factors that led them to adopt the Mustang name for this thing. Um, uh, you know, you know, Mustang obviously is an iconic nameplate for Ford, uh, you know, that and F one hundred and fifty you know, or F series, you know, are, are the two strongest brands that they have probably. And that was, you know, that, that kind of drove this whole decision to, to pivot the whole program.
1: Well, you know, and it's it's actually really interesting. You know, maybe I should I didn't mean to jump right into facts and figures too. Look, like, what do you, what do you guys think? It's Rebecca. You've gotten your eyes on this. What what do you think of it? Does it live up to Mustang? And you were a little you were a little not not so convinced when we last <laughs> talked.
3: Well, I just knew that there was going to be a lot of backlash from consumers uh, and Mustang purists, as there always are, but. You know, I think it's a I think it's the right strategy. I I think it takes advantage, as Sam said, of really one of their best global nameplates, instantly recognizable. And it it expands it's sort of it's like a, I tried to think of it as more of like a body style and a powertrain expansion or propulsion expansion of the Mustang lineup. And the reality is this is where. Vehicles are going today. They're going to these crossovers. They're going to, you know, a, a high, a, a, a more practical utility. And I do, I do think, you know, based on what I saw last night at the reveal and what I'm, you know, seeing online, I, I, I think it looks really nice. I think the proportions of it are really nice. I love the fact that it has a big long hood even though it doesn't need it, you know, for the engine, I think they did a nice job. They they really honored that the, the Mustang nameplate. I think that, it, you know, the fact that it gets 100, 300 miles of range is fantastic. Uh, you know, the some of the stats on it, the zero to 60 mark. You know, I love the fact that they brought out the GT performance right away. You know, I think that they really did a good job of of of. Being a a good steward of the brand, which we talk about a lot on this show, you know, we've talked about other brands that maybe aren't as good stewards. I think the Ford really honored honored the Mustang nameplate, maybe not in the way some people think of it, but some people need to expand their view.
1: <laughs> well, Sam, you had a really interesting uh, sort of deep dive on um, Forbes about the the Mach E, and and you noted that uh, initially this was supposed to be kind of a, a layup, you know, to score some points. And that was probably before uh it actually had the name Mustang Mach E. But as part of Ford's electric vehicle and electrification program um back in 2017, it was a compliance car. And it switched from that kind of, you know, they you know, use the basketball metaphor, that it switched from a layup to a full court press, um, which is the kind of all-encompassing strategy that that wins, you know, Entire championships and and Jim Hackett is really getting credit for that with the formation of, of Team Edison.
2: Yeah, I'm 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 not familiar with these sports ball uh, <laughs> metaphors that you keep referencing. Hey, you but, know what? Do the things. Um, I'll, I'll, I'll I'll try to play along. Uh, yeah, so you know, for for anyone that didn't read my 4,500 word uh, treatise on you on this should thing, do uh, that now. Yeah, you should definitely do yeah. that. Um, the the just uh, you know a little bit of uh, background. You know Ford. Like every other automaker, especially you know, at least every other volume automaker, you know, is has been required to sell a certain number of uh, plug-in vehicles in California and other states, as well as in other markets. Uh, you know to comply with regulations. You know they're trying to shift to to zero emission vehicles, and you know they for several years they offered the Focus Electric, which was. Totally a compliance car, you know, and it and it was, you know, very much non-optimized for the task. You know, it was a car that was not designed to be electric to begin with, and they, uh, you know, they managed to stuff a bunch of batteries in there and a and a motor to make it an electric. But it didn't have particularly good range, and it was expensive. And you know, 2016, they were working on you know a replacement for that, a next generation, which was you know, a front-wheel drive crossover. And for all intents and purposes, you know, you could think of it, you know, essentially as kind of an electric escape. You know, it was, made, it was a little bit larger than an escape, but not, not by a whole lot. But it was effectively an electric escape. And uh, when, in January of 2017, when uh, Jim, or, um, uh, Mark Fields, then CEO of Ford, announced that they were going to uh, produce a 300-mile electric crossover, that was the vehicle he was talking about. A few months later, when Jim Hackett, when he was fired and Jim Hackett was brought in as CEO, you know, part of what happened in the the, the months following uh, Hackett, you know, coming in as CEO, was they went through and completely reevaluated all the product programs at Ford. And one of the things that was decided between Hackett and and the rest of the leadership team, including Jim Farley, was that, you know, rather than doing another compliance car, you know, even though this was going to be a purpose-built EV, it was still very much, you know, something that they they were doing because they had to do, uh, you know, they, they decided that they, they needed to do something else, something completely different that was actually going to excite consumers, you know, and actually get them to want to own an electric Ford rather than Ford having to push it on consumers. And, you know, they formed Team Edison, um, you know, which was, you know, this team that was set up to look at, you know, product planning and marketing and business models around electrification. What are the things that Ford would have to do to really be successful in electrification? And so they, they basically started from scratch. You know, they, they used some of the, some of the, the hardware, some of the, uh, the technology that they had developed, but they completely reconfigured it and started with a whole new vehicle. And it was really Farley that pushed for the, the, the use of the Mustang name, you know, and, the reason for that is that they wanted, he wanted to inspire the team, but also to inspire customers. And he felt that if, if we're going to call this thing a Mustang, then it has to be uh, like a Mustang. It has to have the attributes, the driving dynamics and, and performance of a Mustang and, and some of the looks of a Mustang. Otherwise there's no point in calling it that, you know, unless you do in fact want to destroy the brand. And, you know, so they, they pulled together a team and they started over again. They went from a front wheel drive crossover to a rear wheel drive slash all wheel drive machine that was really targeted more for performance. You know, they stretched the wheelbase, they completely changed the design. And, um, you know, they, uh, Dave Parasek, who was the former chief engineer, uh, for Mustang. And then after that, he was the director of Ford performance and <clears throat> led the, you know, led Ford's, uh, uh, GT program, you know, going back to Le Mans and winning with the GT, um, you know, he is now the director of ICONs, uh, ICON vehicles at Ford. And, you know, ICONs include Mustang, Bronco, Raptor, and now the, the Mach-E. And you know, we talked uh, talked earlier this summer with Amy Morentek, uh about the, the whole ICONs group. And uh, on Friday, I had a chance to sit down with Dave for a few minutes and talk about what you know, what he saw as the need, you know, what, what, what was it, what did he feel that it was required to make this vehicle be a Mustang? And, you know, if you want, we can drop that in here, uh, uh, Dan, and and then we can pick up the conversation after that.
1: Sure. Absolutely. Let's, so let's go to, uh, your interview with Dave Parisek.
2: Dave, um, director of icons now, and you've got a long history with Mustang and, you know, this is, this is the first really all new product as part of the Icons Group. I talked to uh, Amy Morantec a few months ago about you know what the Icons thing is all about. Yeah. And now you're adding something completely different to Icons. You know, it's not a Mustang. Well, I mean, it's not a traditional Mustang. It's not it, a GT. it is a Mustang. <laughs> yeah. Um, what, you know, from your perspective, you've been part of Mustang for so long, and it's been part of you for so long. Yeah. What did, what did you want to achieve with this vehicle to really make it a Mustang?
0: Sure. Well, I mean, number one, I'm really excited to have the opportunity to actually bring an all-new Mustang into the lineup, right? Because this is something that, as we look at the future of the brand, this is going to be critical to us being here another 55 years from now, right? So, but to make it um, truly a Mustang, its driving dynamics had to be just no compromise. Had to be, Right. right. And so we made a lot of late change in the program. I mean, um, you know, you, you'll hear a story of, of when I went down to the simulator and the team thought they were done. Uh, I drove it, and I came out, and I looked at them, and I said, no way, this is not a Mustang. And we spent the next month or more you know, adding bracing to stiffen up the body, changing bushings. I mean, we were doing all kind of stuff because it just didn't have the driving dynamics that it needed to have. And so first and foremost, it had to drive and feel like a Mustang. And the cool part about it is and this is where i I get excited about it is when you add that instantaneous torque to that awesome you know driving dynamics that you would expect out of a mustang it's just magic man because who doesn't want instantaneous torque and so what we've been able to achieve um and so that's it's magical when all those things happen and come together right so we made a lot of change sam i mean i'll tell you we we changed tire uh tires we changed suspension you know we added magna ride uh to the gt we lowered the gt We um, uh, changed the steering tuning, I mean, you name it. Everything sort of got revamped when we pivoted the program and said, we're gonna make a Mustang. And uh, so what I was looking to achieve was bringing that legendary Mustang performance, feel, the whole thing, and bringing it in a new way, bringing it in a totally different silhouette and bringing it into this instantaneous torque world
2: that we have with electrification, it's amazing, awesome. You know, Mustang's always been a rear wheel drive coupe, convertible. Yep. Describe, you know, what what you're looking for in terms of driving dynamics in something that's called a Mustang.
0: Yeah. So, I mean, what you're looking for is you're looking for um, the, the, the acceleration has to be there when you want it. So, especially as you set the car up in the corners, right? One of the things that a Mustang is really magical about is, you know, you've been driving them long enough. Is as you're going through turns and corners, is you can set that, you've set it up into the corner. And then when you rock it out of the other side of the corner with that, right, she's gripped. She's, it's almost like it's on rails. And you got that instant acceleration coming out of there. And all of it's connected together. The biggest thing about a Mustang is all of the systems work together to just give you a driving experience that you can't get anywhere else. So, um, again, that all that
2: transfers into this vehicle. So, what did it take to make... Um uh, first of all, an all-wheel drive yeah. vehicle that is significantly taller than sure. a Mustang and, and larger larger footprint. What did it take to make a vehicle of that form factor feel like, you know, an s Five Fifty Mustang? Takes
0: takes quite a bit actually, uh, because all-wheel drive does give you a totally different you know driving dynamic. But uh, we're not unfamiliar with how to make an all-wheel drive version of a performance vehicle look at the focus rs right i mean i think it's amazing we learned a lot with that product on how to make an all-wheel drive do what we want it to do from a performance perspective so the same team that does those types of products we're working on this one as well and so uh we we know all the tricks of the trade in order to make the all-wheel drive system perform so that you don't you know the front end and rear end are working 100 percent harmonious together
2: um, you know, you've got three different configurations: a rear-wheel drive, a front drive with a, sm- or all sorry, all-wheel drive with a smaller motor, and then the the, the dual motor configuration, the same motor front and rear. Yeah. Um, you know, obviously the the ones with either just the rear or the, the larger rear, um, they're probably going to have more of that kind of rear bias kind of feel that more like a traditional Mustang. You know, And did you try to emulate some of that? with uh, the 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 gt um you know in terms of the way it behaves you know maybe be, make it be able to do a little power oversteer or things like that or sure. drifting
0: yeah those are
2: all the characteristics
0: that you would expect to have right uh, mustangs are known not to have too much understeer but have just the right amount these right? so, modern, right? so, yeah, modern mustangs yeah modern mustangs um in the back end you know you want to be able to rotate that vehicle and so that was one of the things that as we worked on the all-wheel drive system all, all the versions of it uh mm-hmm. when i was in the simulator, or even on the track, just recently, it's getting that proper rotation of that rear end uh, coming around, especially in an SUV, is is not an easy task. But we know how to do it. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, there's all kind of tricks that we that we that we play. But yeah, you want that feel that you're ex- that you would expect uh, of being able to rotate that vehicle when you want to, and be able to get that rear end to go where you want it to go. Point and shoot that front end, tuck it into the corners. Yeah, I and mean, she does all of it. What's the uh, what's the suspension architecture of
2: the Maki?
0: Uh, it's it's your uh, coil suspension. I mean, it's struts a- in the front, yeah. multi-link in the yeah. rear. Yeah. Is
2: it is it um, an integral link like the other Mustangs, or is it a different kind of rear? It's a I different think? kind of rear. Okay. Um, what you know, in terms of steering? You know, what what have you done with steering to to make this you know feel like what you expect a Mustang to do? Yeah, I mean, same, typical same people that would
0: tune the Mustang steering has also tuned this vehicle here. So we have, you know, with, with the uh, e-pass systems, we have all the ability to change all the different uh, levers to be able to make it perform the way we want it to perform. So you'll see that the, the steering is progressive depending on the drive modes that you're that you're in and that you're using. But it's typical what you expect is that you're going to get that more of a, a point and shoot kind of a steering. So it's not you're not going to get it's not twitchy or, or, or overly aggressive but it is very linear and very accurate. So I always say it's point and shoot with Mustang, right? Put it where you want it to go. Yeah. You mentioned
2: uh, the uh, the simulator, the Ford Performance Simulator down in North Carolina. Yep. Can you talk a little bit more about that and the capabilities that that has and, and what that allowed you to do? Yeah, the
0: simulator is amazing. We started that many years ago when I was actually leading Ford Performance. And um, the technology was good, but I wouldn't say it was great. But what we did was through the use of it with our GT racing program and our NASCAR racing program, it was just great. We've been able to uh, take that technology to a level that is absolutely amazing. Now, I mean, our you won't get NASCAR drivers on it every day of the week if it doesn't if it's not good. If it's not real, right? Um, and we learned a lot about how to make that that system real. Uh, and you, it is so accurate now that uh, we go down there and we can change setups on the fly, right? Change springs, change shocks, change bushings, change tires, and just you can try a million iterations and decide what you like and don't like and how it and how it works and. When I went down there and drove this one, um, it is so accurate that just by changing the tires, I could tell. You know, it, it was like a blind test for me, right? And and they would make a change, and I'd come. Oh, I think you just changed the tires. Yeah, we did. And you know, and we talked about that. So the technology is truly amazing. And what we have proven now in a couple different programs, uh, we even used it a little bit on the GT500. Uh, this was the first program we've used it really from start to finish. But we did use the GT500. What we determined in the simulator. And when we build the first prototype, that translation is extremely accurate. So what we drove in the simulator and we get in behind the actual physical vehicle, it's, it's like, yep, I just, I just drove this, I've been there. So I did that back to back with the GT500 um, at, uh, at VIR Raceway. So drove it in the simulator, said, yep, flew right down the next day, flew right down to VIR and drove it the real car. Absolutely was identical to what I was in the simulator. And So that translation is amazing. Cuts out a lot of uh, costs and cuts out a lot of time for us as we develop these products.
2: Uh, one of the things that Mustang fans have always appreciated is the sound of the car, especially in V8 form, um, and obviously in, a, in an EV. That's not something that you're going to have. What did? What was the goal in terms of creating a soundtrack for the Mustang? Thanks. Yeah. So obviously,
0: the sound of a Mustang is part of the visceral experience, right? It's we call it on the on the V8 Mustang. It's its mating call, right? Um, so when we took this project on, we knew that sound was going to be really important to the overall driving experience. But clearly, this just doesn't have a V8 in, it and it doesn't, you know. So you don't try to mimic something that that would be completely um, unrealistic and, and not authentic. And Mustang's all about being authentic. But you do have an EV, and EVs don't make a lot of noise. So. Um, You do have the E-Drive system, which does produce some sound, right? And so we've enhanced that sound uh, where appropriate. But then we had to figure out what should this sound like? What would a, if you try to imagine a Mustang as an electric vehicle, what would it sound like? Because I'll tell you what, watching a movie without sound is kind of boring, Mm -hmm. right? Well, it's no different here. I mean, you don't want to go out and have fun driving a Mustang and not have any sound. So we spent a lot of time to figure out what should that sound be. Everything from the Jetsons to, you know, I mean, you name it, right? Weird star trekky sounds to you name it and at the end of the day uh we came up with a with a a sound that we felt was mustang-like but again not trying to simulate anything that we've had in the past not trying to simulate v8 or anything like that but wanting to give you that exciting exhilarating feel as you as you accelerate and we feel that we've uh we've hit it it was many many hours of agonizing and going back and forth and questioning ourselves and questioning each other and but at the end of the day i think the sound that we ended up with is pretty cool so, uh, what are you going to have in your garage? Grabber Blue GT? <laughs> <laughs> it would be a GT for sure. Uh, I will wait for the GT. Yeah, I don't know. You know what? The car looks great in white. It looks great in Grabber Blue. But um, I'll tell you, I'm excited uh, to drive this You know, out on the streets. I mean, I've had it on tracks. I've had it in, yeah. But I, I just can't wait. I mean, it's really fun. I mean, I had a whole carload of people the other day on, out on the track in it, and we were just having a blast it. So.
2: Yeah, well, it was impressive on the short drive we had. So, all right. Dave Parasak, thank you very much. Thank you.
1: So... Um, you know, I, I'm just kind of struck by the decision to uh, not create any more compliance cars. It, that's what this feels like to me. Is is Ford saying, um, "No, we're going to do a strategy that takes investment and in risk now, which is maybe uncomfortable, but we're going to avoid scrambling in the future uh, because you know cars cars are a reactive business, and this looks to me like Ford's trying to avoid having to take." EVs seriously in the future by taking them seriously now?
2: Um, yeah, I, I, would, I would agree with that to a point. But it is also, there, there is some reactivity to it because I think, you know, kind of the, the short answer to what Ford has done is they've essentially looked at the only car, the only company that has been successful in terms of, you know, selling EVs to consumers, even though the business has not been successful, but, you know, getting consumers to want EVs is Tesla. And they basically took all the best parts of the Tesla playbook and combined that with hopefully, you know, with what are the areas of Ford strength in manufacturing and design and development and customer support and, you know, meld that into this vehicle.
3: One of the things that Tesla has really shown us is what consumers want when they look at adoption adopting electric vehicles. And we have to still remember that even though there's a lot more electric vehicles coming out, we are still dealing with the very, very beginning of the technology adoption curve, because we're still looking at new car sales in that like one to two percent range. And it's not as if we're getting an overwhelming number of people saying, well, I would buy this. I buy but you know it doesn't fit my lifestyle or something because we're getting a lot more types of vehicles we still are looking at appealing to to innovators, which tend to have you know they're very risk oriented, they tend they tend to have good financial liquidity. You know they're they're the people, they're the first ones to buy things, but they're also only about two and a half percent of the market themselves. So there's not very many innovator mindsets, and so I think what Ford has done with especially with bringing out that GT is to say. We understand the people that are buying electric vehicles right now. We understand the need to appeal to them, to have this iconic nameplate attached to it. And then just also say, but we also understand that you have a family or that you have, you know, a, a practical need for this product. And and that's why, you know, the crossover comes into play, especially both rear wheel drive and all wheel drive. It really just checks off a lot of boxes and it, and it overcomes a lot of barriers that people put up. Now, with that being said, I do still think that we are. We continue to fight against that idea that this, an electric vehicle, isn't better than an internal combustion engine. And that's a discussion that needs to be had. How do you know, as long as there's a choice, consumers will continue to choose a internal combustion engine that they're familiar with, that doesn't have perceived risk, that doesn't have that, quote, range anxiety, that doesn't need charging, which, you know, I've talked about the inconvenience that that can be at times. So, you know, I I don't think that we're going to see electric vehicles take over the world as long as we still have internal combustion engines as a choice. But I think that the Mach-E is a really, really good step forward, especially for a traditional manufacturer like Ford.
1: It does ad- advance, the, I think, the state of the art. The interesting thing to me that stuck out, too, was, um or among the interesting things, was th- that they're saying that it's going to be profitable from job one. And mm-hmm. if there's anything we've seen with EVs is that they are not profitable. So that's really, um, that makes me wonder, okay, um, at what volume is
2: that going to be profitable? Yeah, Sam, now? you
3: had some good background on that, didn't you?
2: Yeah, so... You know, Ford. You know, as most manufacturers, they don't like to talk about what their sales targets are or any of this stuff. Uh, But you know, based on you know where this vehicle is in the market uh, and and the price point, it's you know, it seems reasonable. I think I think a reasonable forecast of you know kind of what the sales prospects are for this particular model, you know, is probably somewhere in the neighborhood of about. 40 to 50,000 units annually on a global basis. And, you know, when I, when I threw that number out there, you know, nobody from Ford, you know, really seemed to flinch very much. You know, I think they would be happy with more, but I think that that's, you know, that that's a reasonable number. And, you know, talking last night to, uh, Tai Tang, the head of, uh, product development at, uh, at Ford, uh, we talked about the, the plant uh, where this, this vehicle is being built, uh, it's in Quadralon, Mexico. It's, it's the plant where they had previously built the Fiesta and they have now ended Fiesta production there and they're, they're retooling that whole plant. And the, you know, when back again, going back to January of 2017, when fields first announced this, the plan was to build that compliance EV in Flat Rock, Michigan, alongside the, the existing Mustang and. and You know, now what they're doing is they are retooling an entire plant. You know, it's got, it has, you know, previously has had capacity for, you know, upwards of 250,000 vehicles a year, and it's going to be building exclusively EVs. So, you know, this is just the first step for Ford. We already know of two other electric vehicles that they have coming, the F-150 electric, which will come along in 2021, and also from the the UAW contract, uh, an electric version of the transit van. But there's still at least three more that are coming in the next couple of years, and uh, you know, what you know, there's been some recent rumors that you know we'll see a mid-sized uh, SUV from from Ford and Lincoln, which could potentially be a replacement for the current Edge and Nautilus, or or it could be a different model entirely. Uh, you know, and then you know the Lincoln MKZ is also coming near the end of its lifespan, so we'll probably see a Lincoln model uh, that is. You know, similar to this, but, you know, what they're doing is they're, they're preparing to sell a lot of EVs and this particular one, you know, because of its price point, you know, it, it should be relatively, um, you know, it should be certainly at least break even, I think. Uh, in the in the near term, and 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 potentially profitable. Maybe not as high margin as some other vehicles, but it, should, it definitely has potential to be profitable, especially when you look at models like the GT version, you know, which are going to be up in the sixty five sixty to sixty five thousand dollar price range. Uh, and another thing that Hao Tai Tang mentioned is that there's going to be you know because this is a mechanically simpler vehicle. And they've done a lot of things you know, with the new architecture of this thing to, to simplify it. There's going to be 25% less ab- labor input uh, into this vehicle. So there, I think there, there definitely is potential for profitability here. Potential? <laughs> yeah. I mean, they'll, they'll get you know, it. The thing, the, thing about, the thing about profits is, you know, <laughs> it's, it's all you always have to take, you know, the things you hear with a, a, a huge chunk of salt. You know, and you know, it's a matter of, you know, what you're including in that cost. You know, what what expenses, you know, what R and D expenses and so on are you amortizing into that, the cost of that. You know, in the case, in this case here, you know, the cost of developing an electric powertrain is the electric skateboard system, the battery system, you know, are they amortizing that just over the cost of this vehicle or over the cost of all the vehicles that are gonna come out of quadrant lot? You know, if it's the latter, which I think is more likely, then you know. There, I, I think it's it's not unreasonable, and you know, the, with the way battery prices have been trending downwards, I, th- I think it's definitely doable.
3: And how do you know how long or how many of uh, what volume they have left on the seventy five hundred dollar tax credit?
2: So uh, right now, uh, estimate. You know, by the end of twenty nineteen, they will be at about one hundred and twenty thousand units sold of plug in vehicles. So next and month. Yeah, by by the end by the end of by the end of December, they'll be at, a, at roughly 120,000. So they'll have about another 80,000 okay. before the phase-in period starts. Yeah, and through you know the first part of next year, you know they'll still have the Fusion plug-in hybrid, the Fusion Energy, uh, mm-hmm. but they're also adding um, the Aviator Grand Touring uh, and the the Corsair Grand Touring plug-in hybrids, and then in the fall uh, you have the the Mach E coming. Um, so The estimate is that somewhere probably towards the end of the first half of 2021, uh, they'll hit that 200,000 threshold. And then at that point they have another quarter to sell an unlimited number. And then they start the phase out. So probably, um, you know, by the end of September, you know, October of 2021 is probably when you'll see the, the uh, tax breaks cut in half for Ford.
3: Do you think that they would, uh, Scale back a little bit on some of those other plug-in hybrid models in order to save some for the Maki.
2: No, I don't think so. They don't need to scale back. They're not selling. Yeah. Well, <laughs> well actually, no, But I mean, the, if they constrain, the Fu- the you know, Fusion they can Energy strain. is actually selling surprisingly well. It's it's actually a pr- you know the Fusion Hybrid and the Fusion Energy are actually a pretty significant. Proportion of sales of of fusion sales that are, you know, that are still there. Oh, that's a surprise.
3: Um,
1: But what are you saying though, um, uh, Rebecca, like constraining uh, supply? Like, are you talking about sort of the idea of inducing demand?
3: Well, no, I'm talking about preserving some of their tax credit volume for the Mach E so that when it comes out, now again, these are early adopter people who are you know wouldn't necessarily care, but it's just a nice it's another incentive to have uh, you know to be able to say, Hey, you know the first thirty thousand or you know are still eligible. It's just a thought, just a strategy thought,
2: <laughs> yeah, you know I think so for, for I would say you know for roughly the first year of maki production, um you know anybody who buys one in the first twelve months or so will will be able to get the full tax credit and then for another year after that you know they'll still have eligible eligibility for a reduced tax credit so we're talking you know well into 2022 before the tax credit goes away entirely for ford
3: okay uh, and i should know this but when when is starter production
2: uh should be about august okay so
3: 2022
1: it's just in time for a mid-cycle refresh <laughs> uh, <laughs> um so you actually got to, to take a ride in it. So that's, that's also what I'm curious about is, uh, you know, because I think the things that are going to make the Mach-E successful, things you're going to help it versus hurt it are, you know, quality materials, the ease of use, like with the UI. Um, and it appears that Ford has studied the things that people love about Tesla, uh, and including like the over-the-air updates and the, the hands-free driver assist that'll be available at some point. Um, and, you know what's what's the driving experience like which is another thing that people rave about with their their teslas i, I mean that the, the the actual physical ride. you didn't get to drive it but you you were in it you took a you took a spin yeah
2: i rode shotgun yeah yeah so uh, you know the the maki is going to be available in three powertrain configurations the base model has a 210 kilowatt electric rear motor rear wheel drive uh the mid-range will add a 50 kilowatt front motor Uh, so that gives you about 335 horsepower in the, in the mid range model. And then in the GT, you get the same, uh, motor front and rear for a total of 459 horsepower and 630 foot pounds of torque. And that torque, you know, as usual in electric is instantaneous. Um, so, the the prototypes that we rode in were mid range models. So they were all wheel drive with the smaller front motor and you know, they're quick, they're, they're very quick off the line, uh, you know. 0 to 60 times for this one are, you know, about the five second range, um, for the GT, you know, it's going to dip down into the mid threes. So the GT is going to be able to accelerate in times pretty comparable to the Shelby GT 500, which is currently the fastest Mustang production Mustang ever built. Uh, so, you know, similar acceleration to a GT 500, uh, you know, as an EV, because it's got the battery all in the floor and it's got a low center of gravity. It, it behaves you know it, it handles quite well we went through a, a slalom course um you know and you know as as most evs do it stays relatively flat you know it wasn't wobbling around which is which is nice um so and you know again talking you know from my conversation with dave uh you know they've really worked hard on the driving dynamics of this thing you know, it's got a strut front suspension but it's got a new multi link rear suspension setup. Uh, you know, they've done a lot of work on, on tuning this, you know, to make it handle really well. Uh, you know, they, they really want it to feel like a Mustang. Uh, and you know, on the, the GT, it also has uh, Magna ride dampers, which will help further, you know, give a, a good, good balance of, of ride quality and, and handling. Uh, so I think, you know, overall the dynamics, you know, from the quick exposure we had, I think they're, they're definitely on the right track. Uh, you know, the interior materials, you know, it's a nice clean design, as you can see from the images, you know, like, like Tesla, they've, you know, gone to fairly minimalist, you know, most of, most of it concentrated in that 15 and a half inch center display, but unlike the, the model three and the model Y there's also a a supplementary display right in front of the driver with the vehicle information. So you don't, you know, you don't have to look over at the center screen to see your speed and things like that. You know, you get that right in front of you where it belongs.
3: So Sam, I... Before we move, because I want to hear more about the interior, uh, the the ride experience. Because you also uh, rode in the Porsche Taycan, so what was that like?
2: Well, you know, the Taycan is designed more as a sports car. You know, a four door sports car. It's mm-hmm. it's even lower. You know, it's not a crossover. It's a lower vehicle. You know, it's also a much more expensive vehicle than this one. Right. You know, it's like three times. You know, a Taycan Turbo S. You know, is three times the price of a Mach-E GT.
3: I so, guess I was kind of thinking, and I apologize, I, I was also sort of thinking of just a Tesla, and like the Model S and the Taycan, which I haven't driven them on the Model S. I did drive in the Taycan, but I didn't know, you know, what that comparison was like.
2: Yeah, I mean, it, it, I think, you know, because the the one we rode in was not the GT. You know, I think the, the performance of the GT is... Uh, is probably going to be closer to the type, you know, quite a bit closer to the Taycan. It's going to be, you know, it's in, it's closer to the, it's not quite as powerful as the Taycan turbo or the turbo S. Uh, but you know, it's, it's closer to that range. Uh, you know, this one, um, I think it, you know, is the one we wrote in, you know, is more in line with what you would get, you know, from a a mid range, uh, model three or, you know, what we'll probably see for the model Y, uh, you know, and it's, it's quick. Um, you know, but I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't even compare it to the, to the Tycon. but you know, compared to other stuff that's out there, like the Jaguar I-Pace, mm. Audi e-tron, uh, mm-hmm. you know, which I have driven those, uh, you know, I, I would say, you know, it's, it's at least as good, if not better performance, you know, based on oh, that quick exposure, yeah. um, you know, and particularly the, you know, the I-Pace, you know, which really is designed more as a performance vehicle. It's, of current production EVs, you know, the iPace is probably the closest in a lot of ways in terms of its configuration to the, the Mach-E, but it's more expensive. And, you know, while I I like the interior, you know, it's it, it it's more, the interior in a lot of ways of the, the I-PACE is more traditional or at least contemporary Jaguar, whereas, you know, Ford has really gone more future thinking, you know, they've really gone more the Tesla direction with the Mach-E uh, you know, that minimalist, uh, interior, but it is very roomy, you know, Uh-oh. it's got room for five, uh, you know, that's the, you know, the wheelbase is 117 inches, uh, you know, so it's, it, there's plenty of leg room in there. I sat in the back seat with two other adult guys and, you know, while, you know, we're, our shoulders were pressed up against each other. It was not uncomfortable, you know, so three, three adults, you know, can sit in the back seat, you know, without, without any difficulty. Um, and, and how, you know, I'm sorry. How Go ahead. how were the materials? So you know, at this stage, you know, uh, almost a year out from from availability, you know, it's hard. Certainly, in the prototypes, it was hard to. You can't really judge the materials, you know, because not everything was in finished form. In the the display vehicles they had, um, the materials are are really nice. You know, it's it looks like high quality stuff. And one of the things that was interesting that they were talking about was. <clears throat> the, uh, interior materials of the Maki are all going to be completely animal free. So no leathers, but it's, you know, all the seats are, um, you know, this, uh, synthetic leather type material, the seat coverings. So there's no cloth seats, uh, in this, uh, but it's all synthetic, uh, hides and, you know, it, it looked and felt good, you know, it felt like leather. Uh, you know, it, it looked very, very high quality, um, And, you know, for those that, uh, you know, are concerned about using animal products and vehicles, you know, there's no animal products in there. Now, granted, there is still petroleum products in there. Um, You know, the foams do still are, you know, the foams and plastics are still made from petrochemicals. Uh, So it's not completely environmentally friendly. But, you know, Ford has also been a leader, you know, for more than a decade in adopting things like soy foam, uh, you know, into their their seat cushions and, and materials like that.
3: Yeah, know that's, I think that's really cool. I think that, uh, and as you say, I mean, this is something that Bill Ford has spoken about before. He's very, very much an environmentalist. And, and I think that's really cool. There's a lot of really, really good fabrics out there. Uh, there's a, a, a um, you know, that can easily substitute. I mean, when you look at some of the products that they use in Marine, uh, it's, there's plenty of really, really good synthetic leathers out there uh, that can easily be transferred into a vehicle. There's a company called Ultra Fabric that I actually, I met the CEO and she's really cool. We were on a plane together and shockingly, we started talking. And uh, so, but she's doing a lot more in, uh, in these kinds of synthetic leathers and suede as well that are really, really good. Uh, they, they have Ultra Fabric on the Lexus boat that I was on a couple of, uh, now a couple months ago. Uh, that's excellent. And, you know, it's it's easy to clean, it's easy to live with. Again, it's sort of a practicality. Uh, and also as we move into shared vehicles, uh, the types of fabric, uh, you know, Sam at that Magna event that we went to a couple of weeks ago, they were talking about some different uh, really, really good fabrics that they're working with as well. So it's definitely an area of expansion for, the, for automotive.
2: Yeah. I mean, you know, materials that, that look you know look good and are durable and are easy to clean are going to be crucially important for those uh, those types of vehicles and you know the 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 Ford uh, folks you know uh, the uh, color and materials designer who's their um uh forget her name now Brooke Boss I think uh you know she talked about the you know this, these materials that they developed and you know they are in fact significantly more durable than natural leather uh, you know, but they, you know, they have that nice soft feel to them uh, and, you know, they're easy to clean. So I I think, I, I think people will like the interior of this vehicle.
3: And it was there hard plastics or how was that situation?
2: Uh, no, I mean, it was mostly, you know, certainly at least in the areas where you're touching things, you know, it was, it was soft touch plastics, but again, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't make any judgments at this stage, you know, because, mm-hmm. you know, the things that you see On a vehicle, you know, this far out from job one are not necessarily representative. So, yeah, you know, let's let's set that comment as question aside until we've had a chance to have something that's at least closer to a pre production model.
3: Sure. That screen looks almost out of proportion. That center console screen, it's enormous, it's huge, and it kind of looks like an afterthought. I all I could think of was a Tim Gunn's voice with their command strips and do no harm. (laughs) Like, (laughs) you
1: know, I I think, I I think it's um, another thing they learned from Tesla and the model three, although this screen has a, um, I was really interested in this sort of rotary controller that's sort of glued to it.
2: Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, you know, in terms of the size of the screen, it's actually smaller than the one that's in the model S and the X, which is a 17 inch display. This is 15 and a half inches, which is just slightly larger than what's in the model three and model Y. uh, but, you know, like, like you said, Dan, you know, they've, they've kind of picked up on some of the, the Tesla design ethos there, you know, having it kind of floating there in the air, you know, because, because it is a touchscreen, you don't want it to be too far of a reach when you're, when you're trying to use it. Um, but, and the, the other thing is that, uh, the, you know, you mentioned the knob, you know, it's not an entirely touch interface there. There is a, a control knob in the bottom center of that display. And what's interesting about that, uh, is that, uh, there's no direct there's no electrical wire connection between that knob and what's behind it. Um, the knob is actually bonded adhesive uh, bonded to the screen and then there's a, a, a capacitive interface so when you turn the knob it's actually as if you were you know putting your finger on that same surface behind it and you know drawing circles on that surface you know so it's transferring the capacitive interface from your fingertips to the surface behind the um, the knob on the screen and so that makes it you know a mechanically easier to to manufacture it
3: what's a capacitive what
2: a, ca- a capacitive <laughs> it's a, inter- it basically it's a, it's, it's, like it's an a, electrical interface your yeah the, the screen's the screen on your on your phone is a capacitive interface a capacitive touch interface so you know not a flux you, capacitor no 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 <laughs> Basically, it just means that you know if you if you've got you know a living object you know like your your finger you know that's got electrical conductivity you know so yeah you, ha- you have to have electrical conductivity uh, to that surface in order to interact with it so you know if you you know if you touch it with your finger or you know with something else that's conductive like a stylus that has a conductive path or mm-hmm. you know if you have winter gloves if you have uh, gloves. That have you know the little pads on the fingertips mm-hmm. for using your phone,
0: right. what
2: those pads are is they typically have little metal fibers in them that pass that conductivity from your uh, from your fingertip to the that touchscreen surface to oh. to make it work
1: oh cool, okay, thank you. Yeah. I do wonder what the flexibility of the human body is though <laughs> <laughs>
2: um,
1: uh, the another did they talk at all about why they went with oil cooled motors? That really stuck out to me too. That's the first time uh, I think that's, I've heard about what, that.
2: That's what that's what everybody's using is oil cooled motors. Really? Yeah, they use oil for cooling the motors. Um and yeah, it's I think it's it's mainly, you know, just to uh you know, the oil has enough uh heat capacity uh to uh you know to act as a coolant for the motors.
3: Oh, so Sam, during this, the last few days, cause you've been out there since Thursday now, mm-hmm. what has been the biggest positive surprise for you? And what do you think you have the most concerns about?
2: Uh, I would say certainly, you know, the biggest concern is just the branding, you know, calling it a Mustang. And certainly, you know, if you go on Twitter and other places, you'll find lots of Mustang fans that are totally outraged at the idea of calling an electric crossover, a Mustang, um, you know. They're just going to have to get over it.
3: It, Well, yeah. I mean, Porsche was horrified. You know, people, Porsche people were horrified at the idea of an SUV and now they buy them like crazy. I mean, Porsche people, Porsche people were horrified
1: by the idea of like the 356B versus the A and it's just gone from there.
2: (laughs) Well, you know, I mean, fans, fans in general, you know, tend to go overboard, you know, whatever, whatever they happen to be fans of, whether, you know, and, and we, you know, we certainly know how, you know, Tesla fans can be. you know but the the reality is you know I, th- I think the thing to remember is that this is not like 1989 when ford you know was planning to, to replace rear wheel drive mustang with a front wheel drive four cylinder coupe you know based on based on a mazda 66 you know at that that car you know they ultimately saw the error of their ways there and made that car the probe and right. you know we saw how that went um, you know this is not replacing traditional mustangs in fact there's a new generation mustang coming in 2022, uh, so you know the, the traditional Mustang is going to stay with us. This is expanding the the brand, you know, and the you know the the goal is to retain what makes Mustang special, you know, in terms of the way it drives and the way it looks, you know, in this new form factor and this new propulsion system. One thing that that obviously does change very much is the sound. Uh, you know, one of the things that Mustang fans love. You know, especially with the V8s, but even even with engines like the four-cylinder EcoBoost, it's the way they sound, that performance, that visceral feedback that you get from sure. the way a perform a good performance car sounds. And you know, they spent a lot of effort, you know, on this one, and and they're continuing. They're not finished yet, but they've they've spent effort on, you know, how to make this thing sound so that it evokes that feeling of driving a Mustang. And, you know, what they've got is, you know, there's actually three different modes in here. There's what they call whisper mode, which is the quiet mode. There's engaged mode. And then there's unbridled mode. And that's nice, clever the unbridled. Engaged engaged, you know, is in the in the middle between the two. I was even unbridled.
3: thinking a horse whisperer when I saw those. So oh, yeah. they got two and three. Yeah. I didn't know what they engaged. the engaged, I thought there was a better one for that.
2: But <laughs> the the unbridled mode is is the loudest. And it could potentially be even, you know, by the time they're they're in production, it could be even louder. But you know, what they did was they, they tried the their goal was to try to create something authentic that sounds like Mustang, but also you know evokes the fact that it's it's electric. It's something different. You know, so it's got, you know, a bit of a, a rumble to it. You know, it doesn't sound like a big Mustang V eight, you know, but you know, it's got something that evokes that performance feel to it, that visceral feel. Uh, um and you know, I think I think they're they're pretty close. I you know and I wouldn't be surprised if at some point, you know, they offer an opportunity to buy different sounds for it, just as Porsche is doing with the Taycan, Um, you know, and have have some different sound options, but I think that this one is, is, you know, is on the right track to being a good start, you know, because obviously anything you do in an EV is going to be synthetic and authenticity is, you know, there's limits on what, you know, what you can call authentic in an EV. Uh, But I, I think they're, they're moving in the right direction.
1: You know, I just really, I read that and I hope that they relent and offer some of us an off position. I don't want any fake sounds. Not because it, they're not exciting. I just, I just want to shut it off. I don't need any more noise. Well, that's, even the whisper, that's the whisper, whisper remote, remote, right? Yeah, but I will notice it, and it will annoy me. I want it off. Put, put headphones on,
3: and then <laughs> and then the headphones sounds, is illegal. What? What, what was the thing that was like the most delightful? Like what? What were you most surprised about? Um,
2: uh, talking guess, to us about it. Of
3: t- take off <gasps> yeah. your engineering hat for a second. <laughs>
2: You know, just how they were, you know, I think uh, I I would say that, you know, more, more so than the vehicle itself, you know, kind of the real shift in the way they're doing this, you know, it's, it's a real transformation, or at least it appears to be from the outside, a real transformation of how they're doing product development. Uh, You know, I mean, in the span of, you know, three or four months after Jim Hackett came in, you know they completely revamped this you know and they've gone from basically from scratch doing an all new vehicle you know in in roughly 24 months you know to from where we are today to when they started when they made the decision and 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 started down this path you know it's it's about 2 years and you know we're about 10 months out from job 1 you know so that is a remarkably short period of time and you know i think that they've you know the, just the fact that they they decided on a path that they wanted to go. You know that they wanted this to be a performance vehicle. Um, you know that really excited people, and they've stuck to that vision of what they wanted this vehicle to be. And and to to the degree that we can judge it at this stage, you know, with the minimal exposure we've had to it, it seems like they have largely succeeded at that. You know, it's it's got a look that I think. You know if you're going to make a mustang SUV, you know I think it's got the right look for that. Um, you know personally, I'm not a big fan of having touch screens in cars, as you well know. Uh, but you know, I think that what they've done what they've done so far, you know they seem to have executed on it very well. Now, all that said, you know going forward, you know when you today, you know when you look at, you know, trying to make a decision, you know, do you want to buy a Model Y or a Mach-E or something else? You know, the the same, you know, Ford took that Tesla playbook of what is it about Teslas that make people want to own them? And they've largely applied that to this vehicle. And where, you know, a company like Ford has a potential advantage is in that all that other traditional stuff of actually building the vehicle and managing supply chains and getting vehicles to customers and supporting them and and providing service parts and all that stuff. And, you know, those are the things that really separate Ford from Tesla at this stage, because the vehicle itself is not radically different from what Tesla is doing with the model Y, you know, in terms of the way it's architected. So, you know, if Ford is going to succeed, they have to execute on all the stuff that they're already supposed to be good at perfectly. They have to have a clean, smooth launch with this thing, which means that they can't have the kind of screw up that they had with the Explorer launch this year. Mm. They have to do it right from job one. And if they can do that, I think that they can be successful. And I think that, you know, with what they're doing, I think they're really demonstrating to the world that, yes, we are really serious about this electrification thing. We want to transform both the kinds of vehicles we build and the way we do business. And if they can execute on that, you know, the rest of the way through to production, then I think, you know, it really shows that, yeah, they have changed, you know, that they have done something. They've made some fundamental changes in their business.
3: How many, do you have any read at all on how many deposits they've taken?
2: No, not yet. They haven't shared any information with us. Well, Twitter says okay. that some of
1: us have made deposits though people are making deposits on the car.
3: Yeah, well, my friend, Ravi, he did some analytics last night and it was about 70% positive response immediately after the streaming launch. And so I just didn't know if there was any, I haven't contacted him today to see if there's an update to that, but it was overwhelmingly positive at that point. Um, But of course, money talks,
2: yeah, yeah. Well, I was I was I was standing with Alex Roy last night when they mm. unveiled the car when he saw it for the first time uh, in person. And you know, if you saw his tweets, you know, you know he he thought it looked effing great. Yeah. <laughs> so
3: I, I mean, he yeah Alex actually just put up something on Twitter as well showing both the Model Y and and the Mach E, and I think the. They do look very, very similar. There's fine differences I noticed. Uh, the the Mach E definitely has a longer hood. That dash to axle dimension or measurement is definitely longer, and that gives it a little bit more uh, pr- proportional appeal for me. That's a that's a, a big thing that I look at, and I like the greenhouse a little bit more. It has a higher belt line. Uh, the Mach E does, but it's very it's incredibly similar. Really,
1: I, I think that so it's really. Um, really clever design that Ford has done on the Mach-E because when you look at it and you remove the color, like if you were to look at it in grayscale or some other high contrast um, format, you'd really see the true shape of of the Mach-E. And they they showed it in an environment last night that really puts it in its best light, I think, Um, because the shape of it uh, fools your eye. They use black trim on both the roof and the rockers to shape the colored area, and the color is what you're you're m- sort of most immediately going to notice, and the shape of that really does look like a coupe, and it it works fantastically well.
2: Yeah, I think I think that's one of the the keys to the success of this design. You know, uh, you know, if you look at the Model Y, to to me, you know, like the X, it looks kind of bloated. You know yeah. it looks a little bit too tall it's got kind of weird proportions whereas the the mock e you know they visually hid some of what they did in the roofline because you know in order to make the 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 back seat you know actually usable uh you know and you know have enough headroom for adults to sit back there and there's plenty of leg room but it's also got plenty of headroom Uh, you know, to, to, to achieve that, you know, the roof line actually extends back horizontally a little bit more and goes into that ends in that spoiler above the the rear wing or above the rear glass. But then the, you know, part of that, you know, at the back, you know, so they, and then the body color, you know, the frame around the window slopes down, you know, to kind of emulate that fastback look you have on the Mustang coupe. You know, and then, you know, that that extended roof part is done in contrasting black that kind of visually hides it and, you know, creates that coupe like impression without the actual compromise of, you know, actually doing that profile all the way down.
3: Yeah, well, it's sort
2: of, you know, it's cosmetic and that's what design is, you know, it's, <laughs> exactly right. It's, let well, It's both cosmetic and functional. It's like, how do you how do you make something functional that looks good? you know and you know that's i think that they've succeeded
1: yeah i think
3: yeah. it looks really nice
1: well i i think we should wrap it up but uh it's really probably the most exciting day of all of 2019 for ford <laughs> to have released the, the maki um and we'll, we'll see where it goes but uh you know, I, I'd like to hear from our listeners, too, what their thoughts are, whether they're Mustang purists or whether they think that, you know, uh, the only constant is change and we should just get over it and, and deal with it. <laughs> oh, lest Ford become another Studebaker. And uh, yeah, so let us know what you think. And, and I'm sure we'll be back on the Mustang Mach-E beat uh, the next episode as well. Yeah, yeah we'll, don't
3: we'll, we'll be to... talking
2: about this for at least the next year
3: yeah exactly. and don't forget to, to to that you can follow us on twitter now at tweet car reviews and we'll be having some comments on there as well
1: oh all right it sounds like you're gonna say t- we'll let you take over the account okay
3: <laughs> <laughs> well we're getting followers i know so it's, 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 it's super Great. fun
1: it's uh, i really enjoy reviewing cars in that format i think it's nice and immediate so
3: yeah No. it's fantastic so all right you. I'm not.
1: all right
2: talk to you all next time
3: well thanks